0: Welcome to JAG Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy JAG community experts. Listen to in-depth discussions about different legal fields and hear insights and lessons learned from practitioners across our enterprise.
1: Uh, this is LNC Brian Fox of the USS Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, we're here sitting down with Mr. Sandy Brink and Mr. Al McMullen uh, for this LN 50th birthday podcast episode, Plank Owner Perspectives. Uh, first gentlemen, I wanted to thank you for speaking with me today. Uh, one, one in New Hampshire, Massachusetts area, the other in Oregon, uh, to give us your, uh, your, your unique perspective on both the LN community and the JAG Corps, maybe share some of your experiences uh, from your time and service. Secondly, I'd like to thank all of you out there for listening to this podcast. So that, you know, I hope it gives you the opportunity to connect, uh, with our past and the legacy of, uh, legal professionals in the Navy, but not just as that, but as sailors and naval officers alike. Uh, so, gentlemen, if, if you're all set to go, let's get started. Sound good?
2: Sounds good. Okay.
1: All right. I'll start with uh, you, Mr. Brink. Uh, is it okay if I call you Sandy?
2: That works for me. All right,
1: Sandy. So, wh- when did you join the Navy?
2: Um. Uh, Went on active duty in September of
1: 1966, 1966.
3: All right, and Mr. McMullen, is that all right if I call you, Al? No problem. Please do. All right, Al. Yeah, so when did you join? Uh, I went on the delay program in October of 68, got sworn into active service January 20th, 1969. And if anybody remembers that far back, it's the same day Nixon got sworn into office and both our careers went in the same direction.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I'm sure they didn't. <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs>
1: um, all right, so this question is for you to start, Sandy. When and where were you selected uh, for Ellen? I know we spoke about it some, uh, but if you could kind of give us a rundown of how that came to be.
2: Uh, uh, at the time, I was stationed at uh, the European Command, Joint forces command in Stuttgart, West Germany and when the instruction came out on how to apply for conversion to LN at the time I was a YN1 with a NEC code for legal clerk and court reporter combined Uh, I applied in uh, the letter went up through the joint service chain of command and uh, found out sometime later that I had been selected for the original group of conversion to LM. Okay. So,
1: yeah, overseas. Where, uh, Al, how about you? When and where were you selected?
3: I was uh, stationed at the legal office at the Naval Operations Base, Norfolk, Virginia, at the time, I was a second class when the instruction came out as a YN. I had the twenty-five fifteen, twenty-five sixteen designation, and I applied. And just prior to my transfer to my next duty station, I found out to the Navy Times that I was one of, I think, the three hundred and forty-eight original selectees for the Legalman rate.
1: Huh? So the Navy Times used to release that, huh?
3: I think they did.
1: It was. It was in the Navy Times. They don't really do that anymore. I don't think they don't. They they release other stuff, but not so much the. Uh, well, that's how I found version. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so, what, Sadie? What what interested you in in the LN rating in the first place?
2: Well, it was an opportunity to get into something new and and go into the legal field that I had already had some training for. I graduated from justice school in January of 68, so this was something I was kind of waiting for to come along. They had been talking that. About it, even back when I was at, at justice school, and uh, so kind of a chance to part of part of being something new and help make the community what it would eventually become.
1: Okay, yeah. What about how about you, Al? What uh, what kind of interest? I mean, I know you said you already had the NEC. Is that kind of why you're uh, steered towards becoming an O M?
3: Well, I had, I had before I came into the service. I went to uh, study court reporting and uh, legal paralegal work at a school in Boston, and worked for a law office before coming on active duty. But when I was stationed in Norfolk, attached to the legal department there, I got quite interested in the court reporting side of it, and had been doing court reporting, taking special court marshals and typing them up and everything. And it just seemed like this was a good fit for me. I really liked the work. I really liked being in the court. And when it came out, I says, oh, this is a great opportunity, brand new rate. Let's, let's go for it. So that's why I put my paperwork in and glad I did too. It <laughs> yeah.
1: And it, So it sounds like the selection process then was more, it was more just, Paperwork. There wasn't really an interview or anything. It was more, "Hey, you're was was there an eligibility requirement at all, or was it just if you were interested?"
2: I, I don't even myself. require. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Al.
3: Oh, I. From what I understand, it was just if you had been working in the rate or had been doing legal work, you can put your request in to become an LM because. If I remember right, there were not only YNs and PNs and storekeepers, but there were also some radar men and other rates that were could go in that put their paperwork in to convert to the LN rate. And I was just for for point, they told us that you wouldn't get the designation until you attended the justice school. So.
1: Okay, so you had to go to school first, uh, right? How it is now, right? Okay, and then Sadie, what what was your first command as an LN? I'm sorry, I I I know you said where you converted, but I didn't hear what your first command was.
2: My first command, where I was actually in an LN billet, was USS John F. Kennedy. Okay, and I reported in there in. December of 73, about a year after conversion, uh, took the detailer a little time to get ginned up to get us. I got pulled out of Germany a year early on my tour because the detailer needed somebody on that ship, so away I went. Happens now. (laughs) I'll bet
1: it does. It does. What about, how about you, Al? Uh,
3: I, after I got uh, transferred, I was picked up. I went to Morocco for the naval communications. I was still a YN, parenthesis LN. Then I went to Germany, Todendorf, for Naval Security Group, still in parenthesis LN. After I got transferred, I was transferred from. Todendorf, Germany, to the Naval Justice School for the course, and then my first actually working in the LN rate was when I reached Naval Base Philadelphia and applied to the legal office there. After that, while I was working there, I was working in the legal office, but then they put me in charge of the U.A. and deserter or captain's math section. For oh, okay. Them. So that's where I really got... My hands on, and then the only other billet I had with the LN rate was uh, when I went to a CB battalion, and I all attached to the reserves.
1: Oh, you went to a CB? Okay, when you went to a CB battalion,
3: right? As a as a reserve, then because I had a billet for an LN uh, LN one, and you could go up one, down one. So I got the billet as a chief. So
1: okay, and then so kind of moving on into commands you've been at, what what were some of, uh, Sandy, if you could, I know you had been overseas and you did some ship stuff. Uh, what were some of your daily, kind of overall daily duties?
2: Uh, <clears throat> on the Kennedy, we did a little bit of, of everything from, from legal assistance, Wilson and powers of attorney kind of stuff, and um, basically doing doing People's thinking for them when they got in a jam or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, all the uh, related captain's masks that are held aboard ship and some court martials from time to time. Also, while I was on the Kennedy, the Kennedy was involved in uh, 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 things that go bump in the night, kind of a collision with the. Some people may remember that, and I right. ended up being a co-reporter core for that investigation. We pulled into Naples and had some help with it from the folks from Naples on that, too. But, yeah, Okay, how about you, Al?
3: Uh, well, uh, stationed in Norfolk, I was doing... The- my first duties were doing promulgation orders, and then I they put me in doing the um, records for summary court martial[s], and then they moved me into the special court martial area. So I was taking court martial[s] for about a year, and we were doing on an average of each of the four reporters that were in there were doing an average of two a day, uh, two a week. So we were quite busy with that. I didn't do too much with the legal end in uh, Morocco other than doing background investigations for foreign nationals and in um, Todendorf, Germany, not too much there because we had Bremerhaven, we sent everybody down to Bremerhaven. And then in Philadelphia, I started working in doing charge sheets and promulgation orders there, but then they moved me to the U.A. and deserted section because they were short of an LPO, so I took that. After that, it was mostly reserves and just no bumps and bruises or no bumps in the night, as Sandy says. Most of it was just giving some legal advice and XO's and inquiries, and that was about the extent of it until I went to the readiness command. And was the LN representative down there for about a year and a half, two years, and not much there either. So, but yeah. Th- so, Sadie, I, didn't I know much, I didn't do too What's much that? legal assistance either. I did not do too much legal assistance either. So, uh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Let me. So I, I know we had spoken. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: Let me let me throw a little something in here about some of my first court reporting experiences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was that was at the. This was before I was in L.N. Uh, but I had to, I had the NEC at the Ninth Naval District Law Center at Great Lakes, which later became Nilsol Great Lakes, but. This was back in the late 60s. Vietnam was a big thing, and we we had a special court-martial pit over in <clears throat> Building 3 there. We were in court. There was a half a dozen court reporters, and we were in court almost every day, but it was back in the day when they'd send up busloads of... <laughs> literally little old ladies in tennis shoes you've heard about, to sit and observe courts of kids that went UA because they didn't want to go to Vietnam or because of recruiters that were not being nice to the recruits over at boot camp. So that was that was where I got my feet wet in court reporting. <laughs> And uh, it was quite an experience. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. That's well. So that kind of leads where I where I was headed next. I know you said you're on the JFK, um, and that was kind of your first uh, tour as an actual LN. So how how did the fleet respond uh, respond to you as an LN? Like what what was kind of was were they still trying to figure out what an LN was, or were they like, oh, thank goodness somebody's here to do this because. <laughs> Because we were struggling before, or what? What was kind of their response
2: to you as a new rate? Well, we we had we had a lawyer on board, and and I had a young lawyer that was fresh out of justice school, new to active duty, and he he kind of looked upon me as somebody to help him grow in the navy. Um, the. So we, but the uh, the troops, they all came by for wills and powers of attorney. So they thought we were pretty good guys because we could do some things for them that they needed or, like right. I said, uh, help, help them with thinking through some things. And uh, so I, I felt like I had a, a pretty good reception on my first duty as an L.N., Uh, on the Kennedy, and uh, it wasn't until I got off of there and into the Milso climate where lawyers seemed to think that maybe we didn't know as much as they thought we did, Uh, we kind of had to prove ourselves. Right, they really didn't know what to do with us at first. Uh, my young lawyer on the ship, he he kind of relied on me for uh, things, Navy. So it was quite a quite a change going going ashore and and yeah, getting uh, new perspective on where things were going. Right. Yeah, and I think we see we see a lot of
1: that. Uh, today still too. How about how about you, Al? Was it uh, similar to that, or did you kind of get get in the office and they kind of knew like where you where you'd fit in, or did you have to prove yourself, or how'd that work?
3: Well, when I was in Norfolk, I kind of had to prove myself with just doing the promulgation orders, and then they needed somebody to do summary court martial and such like that. So I did the summaries for a, for a couple months on. One day they says, "Oh, we need you to fill in for the civilian court reporter because she's got to leave." And so I says, "Okay, I'll fill in." And talk with her, and she said it's a non BCD case or bad conduct discharge case, and yeah. it would be she would summarize the record. And when I sat in there for an hour and a half, and the sentence was a bad conduct discharge. I blant, I literally went white, according to the prosecuting attorney. And after that, she read the record, listened to my record, and she goes, "You're the net. You're they're moving me from promulgation to, to doing court reporting." So I enjoyed it, and right. I, as it, it didn't, it took me till I attended justice school in '74. I got the official designation, and basically they still didn't know what to do with us And at that time, but when I was in uh, Philadelphia for my last tour, I was running the UA deserter section and doing captain's match, and Fandy's right. Back then, we were still doing a lot of UA and deserter people who did not want to be there. And uh, we were doing captain's mass three days a week, anywhere between fifteen and twenty guys at a time. Oh wow! So it was it was a bad it was a run for the mill. But then I got off active duty, and the only other time I used it when I was designated for a CB battalion, probably around nineteen eighty six, eighty five, when I went to them. I went up, and I brought my record to the battalion, and they said, oh, what's your rate, chief? And I went, LN. And the personnelman looked at me, and he goes, we got a billet for a lithographer? And that's <laughs> <laughs> lithographer is L.I., I'm a legalman, chief. And he turned around yeah. and looked at the first class behind him. We got bill a billet for a legalman? So, yeah, they didn't know what to do with me. When I get to the c b battalion, but it was fun. I had a good time with it so yeah and that's so
1: a big thing I think in the in the Allen community that part of the reason I think it's so tight knit is because we face a lot of similar challenges, not unlike the ones you just discussed, but you get kind of all the weird right all the weird interesting uh maybe difficult. Uh, out-of-place problems uh, kind of end up either on your desk or in your face, however they, however they come about. So I, I wondered if each of you could speak to maybe some of the challenges you faced, uh, not just being the first in a new rating, uh, but some of the, I don't know, more more interesting hills you had to climb uh, as an LN, uh, especially uh, as a new rate, uh, but, you know, throughout
3: your career. Sandy, you want to take that?
2: Oh geez. Yeah, I know it's, I know it's a big one. <laughs> I I think getting the the lawyers to believe in us was right. was probably the the biggest thing and that that just took time because they weren't used to having good help. They were just used to having whatever came along as a, a yeoman who might have an NEC and they might not. And uh, so, having somebody that was actually trained and to do the the stuff that they needed done was they they had to get used to that. And I think that was probably the. The biggest thing to to try and accomplish, so on, yeah, yeah. Uh, it it appears to me that now, from what I see uh, on on Facebook and uh, LN pages and stuff, that with your mentorship program, the mentors and mentees, that do you guys you You're doing the old taking care of the troops thing, but right. there's more training that goes along with it than we used to get there was There was no additional training once you got out of justice school mm-hmm. so i I think you guys are have come a long way in in getting over some of these hurdles that we had back in the beginning, but that's the way things are when you start something new. Right. How about
3: you, Al? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. When you walk in and they ask you, oh, what's your rate? You tell them I'm an LN or a legalman. And they go, they look at you kind of strange, especially the small units that I was assigned to. They said, well, we don't have the billet for an LN. And I said, well, that's why I'm assigned here, to help out. And see, Sandy's right. You know, we did not have... A lot of background for uh, people who would come before us. We were the ones that were proving ourselves and proving that we could do the job for people who would follow after us. Does that make right. sense? It and, does.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. That, that's and, kind of the whole the purpose of, of this is to make sure people know that that you all did that because
3: right. You know. and, and and talking to. Officers, you know, non-legal officers, non-jag officers, they were very open to us assisting them in any way we could. As legal men, you know, we we could oversee, like I did in, in, in Philadelphia, getting the correct verbiage on the charge sheets, getting the correct, getting the sentences done correctly correctly, for the, the uh, officer doing the captain's mask, they were sometimes at a loss for it <clears throat> because they didn't have an official, a legal man assigned to that section. And they were very open to all our, to my suggestions as to what to do and how to do it. And that proved easier for whoever took my place after I transferred out. And hopefully for other people after me, the other thing that I would say is, we were when I when I was in justice school. The only thing we did or learned was how to do charge sheets, how to do promulgation orders, and how to do the court reporting and do the do the transcripts. We had nothing to do with quote legal assistance. Right. And that was the big thing that. I missed out on that I always regretted not doing that part or getting that training. And I'm glad you guys are doing that now, getting into the legal assistance part of it. Because we we were lost for it as New Ellen. I don't know about you, Sandy, but I found that was the biggest hurdle I had to overcome.
2: That that part we kind of flew by the seat of our pants and and bounced stuff off the the lawyer that we had on on board the ship in particular um, and after a while of answering questions and and. That they always seem to come up with the same questions. It didn't matter who it was. So <laughs> you kind of you kind of learn by just flying down the road and and picking up stuff as you go. Right.
3: Yeah. When I was assigned to us MIUW two hundred one, mobile Insurance, and sea warfare, and with the Seabees, we did not have quote legal officers a JAG officer assigned to us. <laughs> As 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 the LN, I was flying sometimes by the seat of my pants, and nowhere yeah. in any of the reserve centers did we have a JAG officer. So we were kind of quote flying for legal assistance and helping people yeah. do, do advise about wills, powers, that such So, and it was it was very difficult, and I don't know if it's changed for reserve centers.
1: or... Yeah, I mean, we have yeah, we have a lot of independent duty uh, legal men, but, I mean, they're, you know, we have, obviously, communication now is far easier for them to reach out, you know, when they need right. assistance or uh, they have a question. Uh, it's, it, I, I would say that's probably a big part of it, not just the community wasn't as big as it is now, obviously, uh, when you all, you know, were... <laughs> where you were, uh, but now, but now you know it's it's far easier to communicate, and I know that's really emphasized throughout the community for all of us to reach out to each other because there's going to be, you know, those one offs or those kind of interesting things that come up that you don't you don't know, so you know it's important to ask for help or hey, have you seen this before, kind of thing.
3: If you don't mind, what and everything has changed dramatically from the time Sandy and I were in to where we right. are now and there's a lot more out there you know i remember the manual for course martial was not as thick as it is now because i've seen the new <laughs> one and it's grown like 500 pages worth so yeah, it's big <laughs> it's thick and it's it's very very complicated i'm you know and it was bad enough when i was in and i don't know about sandy but now it's just mind-boggling and we did not sandy and I did not have the ability to communicate just by sitting down and typing a message and send it to somebody It was right. on the phone or letters or stuff like that. so you guys have gotten a little bit easier, but it's also gotten a lot harder for you, I think
2: right well well it's it's gotten more complicated by becoming more technical. But, and and that's a good thing because that's that's how we expand our business. But uh, yeah, we we didn't have cell phones and email. And when 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 I was on the Kennedy, we did wills on a MagCard typewriter. And I'll just throw that one out there and let it lay. Uh, it was quite a machine. But it was, uh, something we used before computers, so.
1: Yeah, it's definitely different. Now it's interesting, especially being on a ship when computers go down and stuff, and you gotta you gotta do things a different way. It can get interesting, that's for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> as, yeah. as far as communicating and you know, no radios, none of that. When those when those go away, uh, <laughs> people have to adapt, which we do pretty well. But it's it it takes sometimes it takes a little longer than it should, I guess. Um, I was gonna good ask. Since we talked about some of the challenges, I was going to ask what some of your most memorable uh, memorable moments are. I know we talked about this before uh, when I spoke with with each of you, but uh, Sandy, if, if you wouldn't mind starting with some of your more memorable uh, times
2: uh, in service. Oh, I I think the the first one would would be. When I was on the Kennedy, I made chief before I got off of there, and I was I was initiated at sea underway. Um, yeah. And and our our next uh, port was Portsmouth, England, and we had quite a party with the uh, <laughs> Royal Navy chiefs uh, when Thank we sure. got there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but uh oh yeah i don't know uh, and and i came kind of came up through the the nilso system, so I was really around lawyers um all the time. Uh, a little different than Al's experience being uh hung out to drive with the Seabees before they had <laughs> independent duty LMs <laughs> uh with those kind of units. And uh so but oh yeah, fly, flying off the flying off the ship for a collision investigation. We were up in uh off the coast of Norway, and flew in over the fjord. That It oh, wow. was just gorgeous. Yeah, um, you don't forget that. Being being on uh, later in my career, I was on the America. I was fortunate enough. I was on the the two last two non nuclear carriers. Uh, on the on the America, we were up in off the coast of Norway again and we went up into you know, you see the cruise ships going up into the fjords. Well not all the fjords are that small. The America went up and into Vesta Fjord, which is just above the Arctic Circle. Uh it's fifty miles wide at the mouth and it's about 150 miles uh, up in there uh, that you can go and still be able to turn around and get out uh, on a big ship. Right. But... uh, yeah, that was that was quite an experience. It was in the fall. We woke up with snow on the flight deck uh, several mornings while we oh, were up in the the fjord. We went up there to see if if you could actually do flight ops in an area like that with mountains all the way around the sides of it, and uh, it worked out pretty well. Uh, wow. The the Russian fishing boat. Followed us from Norfolk on up through there. We went up through some storms and stuff off of Newfoundland and, and Greenland, um, and they. When we went into Norwegian um, territorial waters, the Russians had a fit. Um, but the thing I, I remember most is when we got up in there, uh, I guess maybe one of the reasons that they were having such a fit is because we were within strike distance of Murmansk. And that's okay. uh, just one of them trips that you never forget. So, oh, like. what, how about you, Al? Uh, what were some, uh, some of your more memorable moments?
3: Well, a couple things. It was the first time I got pushed into taking a filling in for the clerk in Norfolk uh, as as the reporter, and finding out it was a bad uh, BCD, and the whole record was going to be verbatim. That that shook me to the core because I was just praying that I got everything. we were using a closed microphone at the time and you had to repeat everything that was being said including when the judge announced the sentence and it took me to the core and then I had enough confidence after that to start doing the regular court martials, and they accepted me The probably the next biggest thing that happened, well two other things when I was stationed in Morocco um we had a the base, the naval communications station, in uh, City Aia. They had to shut it down because they tried to assassinate the king, and some of our people were at his birthday party. So we didn't know what the heck was going was going oh, on man. then. And then when I was in Germany, I think it was 1970, late 70s, when when they had the Olympics were being done in Munich, right? They tried to assassinate the Israeli uh, athletes. They did. Yeah, yeah. I was at a place called uh, Podendorf, Germany, which was about sixty miles north, right on the Baltic Ocean, thirty miles from Pootgarden, uh, the Russian Russian border, with thirty miles from Pootgarden, and we had to lock the base down. And I sat on the on the gate when I had duty with a German. I guess you call him uh, for hire guard, who was a farmer, and sitting there guarding the base with no gun or weapon or anything. But that was that was interesting. And probably the other yeah. thing, the other yeah, he was. Turns out he was a POW in World War Two. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but he felt nice because he he liked the U.S. And he he felt safe there when he was arrested, uh, captured with Rommel in the desert. So they brought him back to the States. But the other thing that was interesting is when I they had Illegalman conferences for the Chiefs, and where a couple of them were done, and they were being done in New Orleans, so I went down there for my first conference and was sitting in a conference room and I'm looking at everybody and we had to go around and introduce ourselves. And they said, anybody got questions? And I I raised my hand and I said, let me ask a question. I says, is this all of the reserve chiefs, senior chiefs and master chiefs of the legal community in the United States? <clears throat> and he said, except for five, yes. And I'm looking around and I goes, Gee, one big hand grenade, and I'd be able to advance pretty quickly here.
1: <laughs> oh, man.
3: <laughs> well, how how, many, how many, many were in there? Do you remember? Um, I think if at the time there were two, ma- three Master Chiefs, eight E8s, E-H, uh, four E8s. E-H, Master Master Chief 4, Senior Chief 8, and about 70 E-7s. And they were divided east to west coast. So, I thought that was very interesting. That there's not a lot of chiefs, there were not illegal been chiefs back then. And,
1: uh. Yeah, we're definitely still one of the smaller ones. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, yeah, little little larger than that, but still still pretty still pretty small.
3: Yeah, so yeah, one big bomb, and gee, they wipe us all out, and everybody could advance quicker. But <laughs> uh, the,
1: so, I, I guess that that was really the last uh well second to last i guess question i had the last one i'll leave uh leave for both of you is is any words of wisdom uh you might have not just for today's legal men you know not just for them as legal professionals but you know as sailors
2: as, uh, for uh, the folks who might be listening i i think one of the biggest things is that the uh, the senior folks just need to take care of their troops <laughs> Uh, your your mentor mentee is doing that and uh, that's that's a, something new since I've been retired for sure uh, looks like a good program uh, it is. It is. It, take care of your troops and and that's the best best thing you can do if they've got problems, help them get through it, Um, and for anybody out there that aspires to go into uh, an LDO program of some kind, don't ever forget where you came from when you got there.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. You take care of people to take care of you, right?
2: That's that. And then it works good. Yeah. <laughs> how about you? Uh, how about you, Al?
3: Well, Sandy stole a lot of my thunder.
2: but <laughs> 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 He's been doing that. I guess. I, I guess know. us old old salts <laughs> think the same sometimes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but let let me before I tell you what my thoughts are. One of my biggest thing is I belong to I'm in the commanding officer for a naval sea cadet corps like the Navy's version of the Boy Scouts. Right. I've been involved in that for over 32 years, over 33 years. Longer than my naval career. But I started it, I was part of it when I was still a chief petty officer. And one of the things I teach my kids, teach my cadets, and I always, and I teach my adults the same thing. If you've got a problem, always remember A-I-O. And it's an old ranger thing. It's adapt to your situation, improvise the solution, and overcome your problem. And if our people... The legal community or whoever's listening to this has a problem. Always remember, AIO, adapt to your situation, improvise a solution, overcome your problem. If that solution doesn't work, start over again. Adapt, improvise, overcome. I've taught so many people that, and I've had some of my cadets come back and some of my adults come back and tell me that really works. And in our community... There's always something that's going to be new or something that's going to crop up that you don't have a regular solution for. So you have to adapt to whatever you have to do to make the problem go away or solve the problem for that person. Right. So adapt, improvise, overcome. So that's my, that's my little thing. Cause like I said, Sandy stole my thunder. <laughs>
1: Well it's, well, it's pretty, pretty good. always have there. a plan it,
3: B. Well. I always have a plan B. That's a, Or a C, or a D, or an E. Forecast. <laughs> <laughs> whatever know, it takes. Whatever it takes. Adapt, improvise, and overcome. And I've preached that for years. Over 30 years. God, I'm getting old. <laughs> <Yeah. Jeez. laughs>
1: was there before I close it out was there anything else uh, either of you would like to add
2: Oh, I, 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 was, I was on active duty for 30 years and I gotta say it was quite a ride and got to do stuff that I just never imagined I would be involved in
3: and I I concur with that. I did the seven years, ten months active, and eighteen plus years reserve. It was a great ride. Get to go places, do things that I've never even imagined. And I thank the Navy for and the Navy for letting me come in and letting me stay as long as I did. I enlisted because of my dad. He was a World War II sailor on an aircraft carrier, and. I followed his tradition, and I appreciate whatever you guys are doing for us now. I thank you for your service now, because without you guys there, us old farts would be have to go back in.
0: <laughs>
3: They'd come for you, too. You know it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that check comes in, so I know I'm still on the hook. Yep, yeah, you're still there. You're still getting paid.
2: Every, every month it hits the checking account, and you go, yeah, I guess it was worth it yeah,
3: yeah. So. <laughs> that's great hey, Sand- sandy? sandy yeah i'm going I'm going to Norway in February on a cruise ship, so I'll be seeing some of those
2: places you talked about there you go, oh, in the Arctic and river. uh yeah, and we took the overnight train from uh um, Trondheim yeah. down to Oslo. It was gorgeous. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. We're going to the Arctic so. Circle, so we'll be up there for yeah, a couple. Get, get your blue
2: nose. Yeah. Get your blue nose. Yeah.
3: And, <laughs> did and get my this what they're going to do. They're going to do that on a ship. So I've got a couple challenge coins for the blue nose. I'm going to challenge. I'm going to challenge yeah, but, the ship you know, okay, we went up
1: to Alaska and got to do some stuff. We didn't go quite far enough, though, uh, this past yeah. poll. So. Um, yeah, I, again, uh, this is uh, Ellen C. Brian Fox, uh, the U.S. of Theodore Roosevelt, uh, and we were just uh, sitting down having a conversation with Mr. Sandy Brink, uh, Mr. Al McMullen. Uh, this is a Ellen 50th birthday podcast. This episode was Plank Owner Perspectives. Uh, again, gentlemen, I just want I want to thank you for agreeing to sit with us today. Uh, sharing your story with us and thank you again I know we talked about it touched on it briefly but you all and and the people that you you know you came up with laid the groundwork for the community that we have today so uh, we owe you a great deal of gratitude for that Um, I have no doubt the things we talked about have given our active duty and reserve personnel something to connect with which is important Uh, especially when you do this job for a long period of time you have to find ways to connect to the past move to the present, you know, and touch the future. So uh we appreciate you uh laying the groundwork so we could do that. Uh and lastly, uh a special thank you. Uh there are some people that work to put this together. Uh Ellen C. Ridlon, Ellen One Smith, uh Ellen Two Parat, uh they kinda organized uh this, this episode so I appreciate them uh them working with us uh, to get this done. Uh with that, uh thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, Sandy. Thank you, Al. Again for for the stories and the wisdom, and uh, we'll
0: see you uh, out and about in the deck plates. You have been listening to Jag Talk, a podcast series featuring Navy Jag community experts. Visit jag.navy.mil for additional chapters of this podcast series. Thank you for tuning in.